Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of CLTV at Educator Innovator. It's January 10th, 2018, and I'm your host, Christina Cantrell, from the National Writing Project. I'm logging in here from Philadelphia. Uh, tonight, I'm really excited to chat with these three colleagues. Um, just like six months ago, we were in Denver together. It feels like yesterday. But um, uh, all of these colleagues have been um, LRNG Innovator grantees over the last few years and um, have been working to um, design and develop connected learning with uh, youth in their classrooms, um, their schools, and their writing project communities over the last uh, few years. So we were together uh, this summer at a writing retreat to sort of share and document this work. And um, they were each writing up about the work they were doing, which was really exciting. But then I also was overhearing them talking amongst themselves about the ways that their work was very similar and the sort of uh, the, the, some of the unifying themes that they saw across their work. And they put together um, a really nice blog post about um, the implications of their students having authentic and meaningful audiences for work in their classrooms. So we wanted to get together tonight. Um, took us a little while, um, and, but we're really excited to be able to talk about this work and to reconnect with each other. Um, and I want to just give them an, a chance to introduce themselves, just a little bit about where you are and what kind of work you're working on in your context. Uh, sorry, Kate. Hi, my name is Kate Fox. I'm from the Birch School, which is in Rock Tavern, New York. We're about 75 miles north of Manhattan. We are a small, independent, nonprofit mixed age learning community of about 30 students. Um, we have been in uh, operation for five years, so we're relatively new, and we are founded on connected learning principles um, and have been exploring a lot of different ways to put them into practice in, in real life with real kids. It's been a fun project. I look forward to talking to you about that. Great, thanks, Laura. Hi, I'm Laura Bradley. I teach eighth grade English, eighth grade design lab, and seventh and eighth grade broadcast media at Kenilworth Junior High in Petaluma, California. And Jennifer. Hi, I'm Jennifer Von Waldy. I teach at Darien High School in Darien, Connecticut. And I've been working with my 10th and 12th graders about to try to get them to think more about how their writing is part of a broader context of, you know, thinking about literature and the place it plays in our lives. Great, wonderful. Well, thank you all for being here and making the time to share this work with us. Um, let me go, there's a blog post that you all wrote that can be found at The Current um, at Educator Innovator, so that's thecurrent.educator.org. And um, it's written, uh, posted by Laura, but co-written by all of you. Um, at the beginning, though, I love this quote. Laura quotes her, one of her students, so I just wanted to read it for a second, and then maybe you guys could tell us a little bit about this, this conversation you were having. So Laura writes, the most powerful feedback I got from my eighth graders when I introduced them to blogging was, 
no offense, Miss Bradley, but when I my I knew my writing was going to be posted on a blog where all my friends would see it. I worked a lot harder on it than when only when you were going to read it. <laughs> and she writes, and that opened my eyes to powerful to the power of meaningful, authentic audience. So, um, with our students' voices in mind, Laura, maybe you can share with us sort of what this meant to you and what this opened up in your classroom and context. So that was. Uh in my English classroom and that was the very beginning of having technology and the ability for my kids to write and post online and all these 20 plus years of teaching when I thought that my grade was the most meaningful part of their work and therefore they would do their best work for me um, it, it completely blew up when they were able to post on their own blog and their friends were commenting um, and so that really was the beginning of radical changes in my English class as they put more and more of their work onto digital portfolios and blogs and began to discover what happens when their work is seen by more than just their teacher. Um, my LRNG grant is for our broadcast media class, which um, that news production that the kids do is aired every single day. Every day they make a new show and then it's shown in the morning classes the following day. And the, um, the pressure is pretty high because they make the show in my classroom, but they're sitting in another classroom the next day when they watch it. And they're surrounded by their peers who are not necessarily in the broadcast class. And so having that audience, being a part of the audience and having it right there with them, um, really motivates them to do the best work they can because of who will be watching it with them. You're muted. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, you actually are in that media production lab as we talk, right? Yes, that's our studio behind me and the kids um, do all of the work beforehand, writing the script, making the graphics. Um, they operate the technology, very, very difficult technology that you see in a professional studio and the kids run the show entirely themselves every day. Awesome, great, thank you. Who wants to follow up? Go ahead, Jennifer. I'd love to piggyback that one because I had the same kind of eye-opening experience with my students too where um, they just weren't invested in the work that they were doing for me. And I was aware of that, but I, and I was struggling with how to get them more invested. And when we first started with Google apps for education and we had, um, access to, you know, much more technology and we were really pushing a technology, um, agenda at the school, I was like, okay, so how do I, how can I use that to help them? Um, and it was at the same time that we were having a bunch of, um, uh, there were there were some incidents happening with students in social media and it was just a, it was part of a larger conversation at the school and I thought okay they can use social media to communicate with each other and they really seem to care a lot about that and they're really invested in the responses that they get from each other ie the comments on the blogs even um, and so my goal was to think of ways where they their words were public for my classroom as well and hoping and you know correctly so, that they would be a little bit more um, concerned about what they were saying and doing um, in a public sphere. So that was our first step. And then with our grant, we put together a symposium where we had six schools from six different districts, very disparate 
come together and present that work. And it really gave this validation to what we were doing in an English classroom that seemed perhaps, you know, maybe like another box to check only when you bring it together and you share with other students and you see what they're doing. And there's that compare and contrast aspect of it where they thought, well, what we did was actually really cool. Um, and they just had a pride in their work at that point that um, I had been unable to kind of motivate them to, to have before that point. Kate, do you want to? Sure. Um, in our situation, you know, being a new school um, sort of centered around connected learning principles, um, initially we knew that we wanted to have a celebration of learning in the format of a showcase, which we hold in the evening and families are invited to come and bring grandparents and siblings. Well, um, the first few showcases that we did, we noticed that the days leading up to the showcase were some of the most focused and industrious times that our kids were, uh, that we were seeing. And they were doing so really enthusiastically and unselfconsciously and really wanting to do good work. So when we talked with them about it, there were a few things, and I think I mentioned some of them in the blog post. One of the things that they said was, you know, not only my parents are going to be here, but other people's parents are going to be here. And the other thing that they also told us was, like, the showcase is on Thursday night, and if your stuff isn't in it, if you miss it, you've missed it. You've missed your chance. So those were both some really um, – powerful, authentic motivations that we were seeing in our students. And since we are um, a private independent school, um, when we observed that, we said, how can we maximize this? And so what we've done is we're on a trimester system now, and the last two weeks of each trimester is dedicated um, only to showcase preparation and also student-led conferences, but a good percentage of time for open-ended projects um, that the kids can collaborate together, um, they can do independent projects. They can really get in the flow. They could, you know, work on one project for the whole entire day, set out all their supplies and everything. So, um, so the showcase, uh, the motivation that the showcase has provided, has become a really integral part of how our whole program is is uh, is is built. Great, thank you. And I, um, as you guys were talking, I I was just writing down some words um, that struck me as you're talking because there was. Um, blowing up, pressure, eye-opening, validation, pride, uh, unselfconsciously, other people's parents. <laughs> I feel like there's like a lot of energy in those words, you know, and it sort of struck me as you're talking about sort of this shift, how energetic things seem to, to, to get actually through even just those small stories. Um, and I'm thinking, I know we have some student work that we wanted to share too, and I feel like we should, it would be great to look at what some of the kids were creating in these contexts. So um, what should we start with first? Should we start with the video first, just to get, like, to make sure that works and everything? Okay, let's get that up here. So this is, can you all see it? Do you want to give a hand, thumbs up if you can see it? Okay, great. So hopefully we'll be able to hear it too. But this is work from Laura's classroom. Laura, do you want to give the context for it? And then we'll. Yeah, so the students produce the news show, which is basically the announcements that the teachers and the admin need the students to hear. Um, but to give them some more, uh, 
input into the show and some more experience with broadcast work. Um, they also work on movies. They film intros and outros for the shows. And we always put up a list of the kinds of videos that we need made. And so a group of students, this, was, this is a box that we have in the office and we wanted the students to make a movie to encourage other students to use the appreciation box. Um, and really it's an example of how when the kids are doing it, they're doing it in a way that the other kids would like. If the teachers were to make the videos, you know, we don't know what the kids would want to see. And so um, the kids did the whole planning of it and the filming of it and um, bringing in the staff members as well. That was all their idea. Oh, that's great. Okay. So I haven't seen this and Kate and Jennifer haven't seen this, I don't think. So we were thinking we would play it and sort of have the three of us just sort of talk about things that we notice in it um, and any questions we might have for Laura. And then Laura, we'd love you to sort of share, talk about the things that, you, that you're excited about in this piece as, as we play it. Okay. So give me a thumbs up as I, when I hit play to let me know that you can hear it too. <laughs> be short they we tell them they have to be between 30 and 60 seconds because the whole news show is not supposed to be more than five minutes and so uh that's hard learning how to it's sort of like twitter you know you have a limited amount of space uh to get your message across so they do a lot with imovie learning film editing yeah that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say what i noticed was like there was a really there was a story that i could understand in a really short period of time <laughs> And that right. tissue was just like the perfect move. <laughs> that was all him. <laughs> so do you want to hear more from me about the production of that? Yeah, or and Kate and Jennifer, is there anything that you noticed or want to say about it? And then we'll... I don't know, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I just think what's neat about seeing students um, record themselves and try to get that narrative arc um, together is in sort of seeing, um, I don't know, there, there's like this level of excitement that you can see, you know, in um, the, the ones who get picked to act, you know, there's a sheepishness at first at, at who's on camera, but to see them really get into it and, and deliver the goods, I guess, is really, um, is really neat. It's also, uh uh, cool to see uh, students working together with teachers like that on a project together. You know, they're soliciting the assistance of the adults to kind of play the part, and it really gives it a lot of validation. And and it, it's a real thing. You know, they don't want to waste adults' time, so or you hope not. <laughs> but anyway, I, I like that. There, that that's a good piece of it too. And a part of the process is they have to submit a draft of the movie to me and the whole thing ended up being redone a couple of times um, because of issues like 
they didn't understand the quick cutting of the film. And so they filmed themselves walking all the way across campus and opening up the, the teacher's classroom door and delivering, you know. So things like that, it reminds me of the writing process where they are really excited about it. And I say, no, no, not quite ready yet. You need to go back and do some revision um, and submit it again. And so really valuable process there. They're in control of it, but they still have to submit to an editor and uh, continue to do some work with it. Um, how, a question I have is how, what was the editing time, or like from when they started to when they published it, or? They work in um, three week job rotations in the studio, and so they usually have about three weeks to work on whatever project that they're doing, and I think that's about how much time that one took. Um, they had to learn things like watching a student write a name on a paper is really slow and boring. And so, oh, look, we can speed it up in iMovie so we, it doesn't take so long. Um, initially, they had my name on the paper. And I said, no, 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 we can't have our class putting out a video with my name. In the <laughs> and it's funny to watch them because they're initially a little bit crushed because they think they're done. Um, and so there's, and they do the same thing in class. They... It used to be that we had to film it all in one take and the class was over and we've gotten to the point now where they want to start filming earlier because they want the ability to say, cut, start again, somebody messed up. And so they're, they're really learning about the revision process and they have that buy-in to make it good enough before it's going to go on YouTube. Hmm, that's great. It does, it does remind me that writing process and that the development of, um, of that ability to go back in and do it again, you know, it's a little, you have to sort of develop that. I mean, even I still feel like I'm developing that. Like, okay, I'll work on it still again. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the um, like sort of unintended consequences of our showcase format, because for students who have gone through the showcase now, you know, three or six times, they recognize that if they leave everything to the last minute, that the quality of their work suffers. And yeah. so I've seen students now you can really tell the, the students who have a lot of experience with it are, are questioning. So, you know, is this a good showcase project? Can I start working on this, you know, somewhere in the middle of the trimester, not waiting to the last minute? And that's a, a really nice unintended consequence that, that we've seen. Yeah, and I, I think just to um, focus in on this idea of the transition and of, you know, the connection between different parts of things, I think, that's something that we saw too in trying to publish our work in different formats on the blog, because if you have a dead link, it's very clear, you know, if you've got a, a format set up and someone's in the middle of, you know, clicking through and, and reading something and then suddenly nothing works, that's a very clear indication that you need to go back in and fix it again, that I don't think they always see when, you know, writing an essay if you hit a dead end or there's a tangent or something doesn't make sense um it's a lot easier to sort of gloss over that yeah that's really interesting so should we segue to your to sharing uh one of the blog posts that your kids did sure okay let me see here we go so you're gonna have to walk us through i think a little bit just so we can make sure we can see it yep. yeah yeah so, so this whole site was something that students created together. So, um, you know, the process, even in terms of thinking about four modes of writing, um, pennies for our thoughts was the personal writing that we did in class. Um, 
Get Creative was the, you know, uh, sort of fan fiction, um, emulation and creative spinoffs um, of things. Current on the Eight is our more editorial nonfiction writing. And The Color of the Door means something, I swear, um, <laughs> goes to show the um, sort of the, the tone of my class, uh, of that class, where they were like, okay, we're going to overanalyze everything here, because that's what we do when we write literary analysis essays with Sonwaldi, you know. So um, that was our more analytical work. Um, and so we had these four different modes, and students had some, a lot of choice in terms of, you know, we'd read a text, and then what are you feeling as far as your response? You know, do you want to write a personal piece? Do you want to write something, you know, more research-based or analytical or whatever? Um, and so their only um, requirement was that they had to post something in all four modes at some point during the year publicly. Um, and so the, the missing chapter assignment um, is one that not every single student had to publish one of their creative pieces, the missing chapters, which was an emulation um, of Catcher in the Rye. And so um, for this project, what we had done was after reading the book, we started to think about all the different places where Holden changed lanes or said, I don't want to talk about it anymore, or kind of just left us hanging and, and really didn't finish a storyline. And that was where they began to think about where they would write their own little missing chapter, a section that explained the thing that was unanswered. Um, so we kind of then, you know, after they had done that and everybody did that, they we decided whose missing chapters would get published um, and who would like to do that. And then everybody collaborated in the classroom. Everybody had different jobs in terms of being, you know, sort of editors for the different sections and sort of, um, so what they did was a kind of a version of summary of the story where they then inserted inserted at the you know appropriate places these links are where the missing chapters begin to fill in that story in that section um so it became a bit of a interactive text once it was published that's really it's really cool i love how you um embedded it within the chapters like one could read these along with the original text right so you're yeah. sort of that was the idea, right? So yeah. that's kind of where we wanted to, um, we're almost like we're retelling the story and what the focus is here is on, you know, our stories that fill in those blanks. But sure, you could absolutely then jump to say chapter five, you know, where um, he says he's going to call somebody up, but then he doesn't. And we can go into the story of why he doesn't or what he did instead and <laughs> kind of dig a little deeper. Yeah, that's great. Any, um, and Kate and uh, the same thing, we're all looking at this for the first time. Kate and uh, Laura, did, anything that you wanna say or something you notice about this or ask about it? I would love to be a fly on the wall as they talk about the writing style and how they would emulate his writing and, um, and how you structured that. Was that something that they, worked on figuring out on their own or was there were there some really targeted lessons on that I, that would be really interesting to see yeah. that happening yeah so um alongside our reading of the text we um look at different things in terms of um his style of sentence his sort of favorite vocabulary um you know the different phrases that he likes to use and when he uses them and so 
we had already sort of started to pick those things out. Um, and then to think too about um, his attitude throughout the book and how it shifts and how the language shifts um, along with that. And, and maybe the vocabulary, the, the length of sentences, they get longer when he's, you know, um, feeling more depressed, say, or, you know. Um, and so that was part of our conversation and focus the whole way through. What was interesting though, was that, I, I, you know, through some combination of looking at his use of, you know, kind of phrases and, and simple um, either fragments or really short sentences to punctuate different ideas and thoughts, they sort of just, in, I feel like, internalized his language a lot. And so a lot of them, when they sat down to write like Holden, didn't have to think about it too much. But again, here too, this is where the revision process was really key um, because some of them went a little too far, you know, and they were using language that in, in their interpretation sounded like Holden, but was not appropriate to the time period and things like that. So we had to scale it back and talk about, you know, well, how would he really you know, say, call what, you know, what kind of a name would he really call somebody or how would he really characterize this? Um, go back to that part in the text. So it was a really neat way of getting them to reread, rethink, reanalyze um, very specific sections of text and then compare it to, you know, their own and to start to really see the nuances of his diction and his um, syntax. I like how you have um, the various different categories for their writing, because I noticed when we started to um, have kids post their things on the blog, uh, some kind of writing they're very reluctant to share. Um, and so this way, you know, you've kind of outlined uh, a lot of different styles of writing. So if they get comfortable in a writing that's a little less revealing, then perhaps they're more comfortable posting something that might be more revealing. Um, most recently, we used our blog post for uh, writing that was inspired by art. So some of it came out and very poetic, and some of it was very revealing. And so they they had a hard time um, posting that. Did did you find that uh, was an issue for some of your kids? Definitely. Um, and even if we looked at um, even on uh, if it's probably earlier on this page. We had done some poetry stuff too. If you just scroll up to the top here, it's still oh, under the Get Creative label. Yeah. Um, and so this was harder to get students to volunteer their pieces for, but again, because everybody had a role, um, I think it sort of took some of the pressure off because um, these blurbs would, you know, for example, would be something that the editors would write about the poet's work um, as it was being put online. Other right. students were able to take, like they had the option of taking with permission one of the student's poems and then reimagining it in some of these video formats. So the poet himself, herself didn't have to be the one um, perhaps, you know, uh, being in front of the camera or, um, you know, it, it could kind of just reimagine, re reinvent. Um, but, because this wasn't the, this was maybe the third quarter of our year, you know, and we'd already been publishing different types of things and they already had a chance to choose what kind of um, writing they wanted to publish in the first two, um, you know, editorial runs that we had. Um, 
I think they did feel a little bit more like, okay, I got to get something up there. And I'm actually pretty proud of this. So I'm just going to give it a go. Um, and I think, yeah, at the beginning of the year, they definitely would have been like, oh, I don't want to put my poetry online, you know, too scary. Yeah, I agree. I think that's um, one of the hardest challenges is getting them to feel comfortable. But once, like you said, once they get there, then that hurdle's kind of been been met and it's not so much of a deterrent moving forward, but it's a process that they have to go through for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, great. Why don't we um, thank you, Jennifer and Laura. And why don't we, we'll look at um, some of Kate's work. I wanted to mention at the top of the show, I mentioned that you each wrote a blog about the work in their classrooms, where these, these pieces of work emerged from. And um, they're all, really interesting. I know, Jennifer, you go into sort of the tensions of like what, of this sort of like, you, the, the, the ways that you thought your students might want to be online and then the ways you found that they really were online and then, you know, so sort of unpacking like what it meant to be online together in this way. You unpack that a lot in your blog post and I think that's a whole other fascinating story actually um, about that journey. That you did it together to actually get this blog up and running. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Now I just have to find the work that I pulled up with Kate's students. Okay. Kate, you ready? Yeah. So, um, I mentioned earlier that we do a student showcase. We do this three times per year. Um, and one of the pieces that I wanted to share with you all was, um, this is a science project. Uh, this is a high schooler, a ninth grader, who we've been studying um, uh, biology and the human body. And so her poster was about the digestions, the digestive system. Um, and this student also happens to be in a handwork class where they've been doing a lot of sewing with felt and creating things in three dimensions. So I was really appreciated this piece because I see what she's done is she's made her poster three-dimensional um, and interactive because underneath uh, each of those little flaps is sort of like interesting facts and details about, about the digestive system. So um, I think this is sort of a, an interesting example of how students are sort of motivated to take it to the next level when they know that there is um, an audience beyond their teacher. Um, it's interesting that uh, we um, have been instituting a feedback system with the posters and with the various products that the kids have been generating for the showcase. So the showcase is typically in the evening, and the next morning, kids are exhausted. A lot of them have spent a lot of time and a lot of stress um, getting ready for the showcase, and there's a huge sense of relief. But we spend some time that morning, we give each of the students um, usually about five sticky notes and we asked them to go around and put the sticky notes on some of the work that really impressed them or that they found um, a connection with or that they really liked um, and then what we do is we go and we take a few of those pieces that have numerous sticky notes on them and bring them to the group for um, a feedback and evaluation so in this way we're able to hold up some really um, quality authentic work for students to look at and look at what makes that uh, what makes that special? What what really made that stand out? And um, 
this was one of the posters that was chosen for that review for obvious reasons. What's really interesting about that process is um, those uh, posters are chosen sort of by the community to evaluate. Um, we don't focus a lot on the producer of that particular piece of work, but more so on the work itself. Um, and then we invite students to, if they want, to go get a piece of their work off the wall and bring it to the, to the circle for a review. Um, and the last time we did that, we had about 12 students who, of their own choice, went and took their work and brought that to the community for some evaluation, which really showed me that they um, are beginning to value that feedback from others, their understanding that it's not a personal, um, they're not reflecting on them personally, but that we together are trying to raise the quality of work that our community is producing, and that they felt safe enough to choose to come with some of their work, um, genuinely interested in what the feedback was, hopefully, you know, to make improvements for the future. Um, so we thought that was a really interesting um, voluntary uh, process that we were using, that setting an example and hoping that more students choose to participate in that next time we uh, do a showcase. That's, <clears throat> thanks, and this photo too, you wanted to share, you see? The next one? Yeah, maybe I actually have to screen share this one separately. This is the, of the. So this is a, an actually at the showcase. This, these are some grandparents. Um, this was a group mural. So a showcase is also an opportunity for kids to, uh, to uh, exhibit some work that they've done together. So this is a fifth grade class who's working on the ecosystem. Uh, we live by the Hudson River, so it's the Hudson River ecosystem. Um, but as you can see, you know, parents are coming and, and looking at the work. And, you know, the kids are not in this picture, but they are in the vicinity seeing people actually admire and look at the work that they've done. Um, and I, I have to say that the feeling after showcase um, is it, it's such a, um, an uplifting celebration of learning that the kids are so enthusiastic about that event. Uh, the parents are really happy to see their kids um, publicly exhibiting their work and are often impressed at what they um, are learning about what their kids are doing. That, um, that momentum that we generate in that showcase really carries us through a lot of the year um, and you know, sort of meets our goal of bringing joy to learning. So it's, it's really become a, a key component of, of what we're delivering. That's great. Um, thank you. Jennifer, Laura, anything you want to? Oops, I was going to share the other one again. Sorry. Um, go ahead. It made me think of um, what open house should be like, you know, the traditional open house when the parents are invited to come and, uh, you know, the teachers will throw together something and the kids will pull out something to have something on display. Um, and looking at the one about the digestive system, I just think of how much time had to go into that and how different that is from how we tend to approach open house, that it, uh, it really is a great way to, to put meaning to a significant project as opposed to, you know, just throw together something so that the parents have something to see. Um, I love the idea of the showcase too for the same you know reasons I think that the things that you saw in terms of validating student work and really making it meaningful beyond the classroom um, and what when you were describing the peer feedback process that's something that I've found really helpful 
with our work, you know, in, in, in the classroom as well. Um, the post-it notes, you know, the sticky notes with the comments and the questions, and that really opens a dialogue very nicely for um, getting the creators to think about their work, but also to get some praise for their work and, and the effort and, and um, investment that they have. Um, but I just love that loop, you know, and it really helps students um, engage in that reflective, you know, thinking um, that sometimes feels maybe forced in other assignments and venues, you know, when we've done sort of like a, let's process what we did, you know, in this paper and what part of the feedback was most helpful kind of deal. Um, and this feels much more like an authentic sort of feedback loop where, you know, everybody's kind of working together to consider what's been made and the importance of it. Um, I'm also struck, I, I am struck by that feedback loop and I'd love to talk about that in a moment too. Um, but I'm also struck by what you said at the beginning that, you know, she was working on um, in a textile class or something like that. The, the ways that this is bringing something that she's working on, potentially a passion project or something that she's interested in, and she brings it into this like much more sort of academic medical subject, you know, and the, the, the sort of the love that expresses. Like there's this like very, um, I mean, it's very affectionate. They all have faces. So, you know, it's just kind of adorable, but it does show that sort of playfulness and that, that, like, or uh, what I feel from it is this sense of playfulness and the sense of, of um, real care and, you know, bringing in sort of multiple aspects of uh, herself into the mix. Yeah, and that really describes this particular student. She is an, an exemplary student in a lot of different ways. But I think one of the things that was really helpful for us as a community when the kids were looking at that piece was they said, wow, that must have taken a lot of time. And she was able to say, well, yes, it did. And the students said, you must have worked on that outside of school. And she said, actually, yes, I did. And so they began to understand that that kind of quality and care doesn't just come from like something that you do quickly in class, that that care, you know, it extended into her time outside of school. And so I think that that was a real eye opener for some of the other students to realize that, yeah, um, maybe, you know, maybe I need to um, pay a little more attention if I want to be, uh, have quality work like that, so. I was gonna comment on how clear her voice is in that piece. I think, yeah. like Christine was saying, her personality kind of comes across in the way that she's created, you know, this, textile um and it just it makes me think too of just how we can talk about teaching students how to write with their own voices all we want but maybe our assignments aren't as authentic as they can be in terms of inspiring that voice you know um and and she you know i don't know i almost feel like i kind of i wouldn't be surprised to meet her you know if i ran into her Well, I mean, that, so just to say, just to take a second for us, we didn't really plan all that well ahead of time what we we're going to share. <laughs> and yet we like just shared like three amazingly different things that are incredibly rich examples of work. Um, and that, that also, that all have that sort of voice in them in really different ways. So I think that's really interesting. So thank you all and thank your students for sharing that work with us. That's really beautiful. Um, I wanted to sort of 
encourage us now to sort of think about the implications of all of this for our continued work in our classrooms and maybe things that we might want to um, share with colleagues who are thinking about this work or sort of even taking some first steps. You know, I, um, in a, with some colleagues, we've been talking a lot about some of the small moves we can make um, and how finding, like finding an audience in some ways helps with some of those small moves. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or ideas there. As far as small moves go, because what I did is messy and it's time consuming and um, you know, in the following years has been kind of a struggle as other things take over to, to you know, how do I make this happen again? Um, but little things that I've continued to do, um, one was to maintain sort of, you know, my blog where old blogs are being, you know, um, linked there. But I use that to um, invite students to engage, you know, via comments, via, uh, responses in in different small ways so that it's not as big of an investment always it doesn't have to be but they still when given the chance to respond to a question I've posed in a public forum or ask them to consider you know an idea um, that the, the amazing thing is the quality of writing I can get from them in the thinking in what they think is a very informal, um, low stakes kind of assignment uh, is a really helpful, you know, bit of the, that sort of process in terms of being able to, to point to something and go, well, you know, when you are invested in this, this is how you said this, right? So how do we take that um, way of thinking about something into this piece of writing that you're gonna do or, you know, um, thinking? So it provides a really nice way to start talking about them as writers um, without torturing them with an essay. <laughs> um, the a step that we're slowly starting to make at our school, most of the English teachers have had their students make digital portfolios. And so we've been saying to the other departments, the English teachers can have the kids make a portfolio and then each other department can have kids add a page. And that way the kids aren't making multiple portfolios, they're making one that would represent all of their work um, at the junior high. And so that's what we're hoping will be a small step to help the other teachers see how their kids can publish their work, take their best assignments. Um, they can take pictures of it if they want, if it's not a digital version, and upload it onto this portfolio and provide ways that then the students can share with other, with their class members and with their parents through um, a digital portfolio. That's great. Kate, okay, do you um, I, I think also that the engagement with the authentic audience is gradual. I think the more they do it, then the more comfortable they become with it and the more useful that process becomes. Um, I've noticed that that's really happened in our situation because we're fortunate enough to have that sort of regular public uh, showcase. Um, but I think that as they really recognize that it's okay, that it's safe, and that they actually 
um, can get some um, some good feedback and and some uh, some uh, self-esteem, some positive feedback. Uh, that kind of momentum, like, is really, like I mentioned before, keeping keeping us going. But I think that the more they do it, the more effective it is. So I don't know how that translates into baby steps, but you have to start somewhere, I guess. Right, right, right. Well, I do think it goes back to what Jennifer was saying about that loop that starts to happen. And I was also thinking about the blog post you wrote about your work and how there is a showcase and how... Uh, as Laura says, how important that sort of showcase moment is. But the kids are also working in small groups back in school. And so like that starts to feed itself, right? And, 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 and then you build momentum that way. So either starting with one or the other probably, <laughs> you know, starts to, to create a loop. Or that's the way I'm hearing it um, when you describe it. Yeah, I was just going to say too, um, I think when we begin maybe perhaps even just by making the work more public in the classroom um, and inviting students to, you know, do like a gallery walk, if it's something visual that can be posted around and I've done this, you can have them, you know, write um, either sort of a, a su analytical summary of what they're seeing, right? And then to be able to feed, to, to tell that back to the artist or to the creator. Um, that begins that conversation, that dialogue about, you know, what, what we're doing right now, you know, what I see, what I notice and how that then becomes something that I am thinking about for my own practice, my own work. Um, so. um, and I'm, I'm struck too by, uh, Jennifer, you were saying you um, have your own blog and I know you keep your own blog, Laura, too. Is there something about that sort of your personal practice being public? Is there anything to, Sure you know, it's, it's the key to modeling, right? So if I'd like you to write publicly, here's how I write publicly, publicly and here are the things that, you know, I um, find worth writing about. And, you know, so um, I've been able to talk a little, you know, being able to talk about my process as a writer um, and the different things that have to happen um, for the formats I'm choosing, you know, um, just are much more authentic conversations when I can say, Hey, I had a 4,500 word piece that I submitted to a 1500 word, you know, minimum, I had to get it down and this is how that looked. And this is what I did. Okay. Now I'd like you to try that. How, how do you figure out what the most important part of this is? Um, you know, I'm being vulnerable in a way that I'm asking them to be vulnerable. And so it feels to them, and, you know, a little bit more like a shared experience. Um, I'm just thinking about what happens when I, uh, when I first started blogging, I would write about things that we had done in my class, kind of like, oh, look how cool this is. And recently I've started doing more blogging of things that I'm planning to do. And I'm discovering the, um, how that forces me to kind of put myself out there and say, I'll be back back again in a couple weeks to let you know how it went and so that really changes the way that that I'm thinking about what I'm doing in my classroom and the commitment that I'm making to follow through and to the fact that there hopefully there is an audience saying oh I can't wait to see it my mother at least says I can't wait to see how it went. <laughs> that's awesome um, so and yes I uh, 
part of teaching my kids blogging is talking about why in the world do people blog? You know, what is it and why do people do it? And I like to be able to share my own and say, you know, this is why I do it. And this is why my friend who is a gardener has a blog. You know, it's a different purpose, but it allows us to connect and share with people beyond our classrooms. You know, before all of this connected teaching, um, I've been in California my whole life. I have never seen or experienced winter the way you all do. And so, <laughs> it's, I mean, my life has changed being able to see all of that online. And so I, I want my kids to be able to do that as well. And awesome. the classroom that I'm in right now is a, it's also a design lab. And I just got a new group of students for the new semester. And I asked them to, to tell me how they use technology at home. They are almost all only using it for social media. And it's very interesting to me that what they're going to learn in my class is all kinds of things that they can create, design, um, 3D print, publish. And for the most part, these so-called digital natives are really just using it for social media. So there's all sorts of potential in the connected learning that, that they may not be getting. And it strikes me to power those portfolios that they're working on, too, mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. Let me right. show you that. Kate, I know you um, also, um, I've, there are collective blogs that you've done um, with your students at Birch, right? Um, um, this fall, we did a, uh, a special project with Storm King Art Center, which is a world-class, huge uh, sculpture um, museum nearby, very close to where school is. And so um, one of our teachers went to a national writing project uh, Hudson Valley Writing Project Professional Development, where they made some connections about using this as a tool. And out of that, she created a, a, um, a student blog where she asked students to uh, post their writings in response to some of the pieces that we saw. Um, a lot of the kids waited until the very, very last minute to post anything because they wanted to make sure that it was, you know, exactly right. Um, but that, uh, we noticed again, as that we did that over nine weeks and in the first couple of weeks there was a lot of hesitation to engage with that but by the eighth or ninth week there was a lot of um, anticipation about what other people were going to be posting and what they could be reading and sharing so um, you know we used that for one particular project not uh, and we were sort of not using it now but I, I noticed that kids um, are going back to it and one of our students who's particularly musical has gone back to some of his writings there and tried to put that to music. So it obviously made a, um, an impact on their, on their experience and they're still thinking about it. So I'm thinking that being able to see other students work um, brought that experience to a whole different level than if they had just experienced that themselves and written because they all saw those same pieces of art and we all have different experiences of art. So this allowed them to sort of have a, a rounded, you know, experience that and understand what other people were really getting, um, you know, inspired in different ways from that same piece of art. So um, that was a really successful project that we can do again with our middle schools. Great, thank you. Well, I think we're getting to the end of our show. I wanted to say that um, all the links that we've talked about today um, will be shared um, with this broadcast. And then you can also look up on the current, um, the collective piece that um, this group wrote that Laura published called The Power of Authenticity, Motivating Students with Meaningful Audiences. 
Um, and that links to all of their individual blog posts about the work that they've all been doing. So I encourage everybody listening and watching to, to go um, uh, read that and follow some of those links. Um, maybe um, if there, anybody has some final thoughts and then we'll wrap for the night. Um, one of my final thoughts is just that I feel so lucky to have had a chance to see some of that work tonight. I just get so excited when I see what youth are creating in these contexts and how rich that work is and then hear all of what um, you're bringing and designing to support them in doing that. That's really um, uh, great for me to hear and listen to and, and see the work. It's really exciting. So thank you. Any final thoughts from anyone else, Laura? Yeah, um, one of the, we've been posting our show on YouTube for about five years now. Um, and so that allows us to share it, you know, with anybody. We send the links to parents, say, you know, so-and-so did a great job today. But um, something really cool happened recently where a student's parent happens to be good friends with Cheryl Jennings, who is a news anchor in San Francisco. She's been doing that for over 30 years. And she's going to FaceTime with our class and give us a tour of video and we're going to give her a tour of our studio. Um, so I tweeted her an episode to thank her and she retweeted it and tagged her sports anchor and said, check it out. There's an up and coming sports anchor. You wow. know, like, what? This is crazy. So it's the potential is just, it's just really exciting what the kids can do and see and share with other people. It's lovely. I think my final thought is, um, or well, one of my final thoughts is just, again, that potential, that idea that connected learning and um, authentic sort of, you know, finding authentic audiences for our students means that we as teachers are trying to find authentic spaces to engage in beyond our classrooms. And I think the potential there is so much greater because we're seeing what we're doing. And I think by sharing what we do in our own classrooms, we demystify it and we can continue to spread the good word everywhere that, you know, um, rote learning and sort of this seated, you know, idea of, you know, traditional learning and education um, is not really what's happening in most of our classrooms. And, and I think, you know, I work with a lot of new teachers who are kind of afraid to move too far beyond that because that seems to still be what everybody wants. Um, I think if we listen to our students and we engage them, you know, in some of these very meaningful experiences um, and share that work, you know, with the public, it starts to really spread a message of what engaged connected learning really is. Yeah, I also think that it allows us to kind of, um, you know, one of my main goals is to bring joy to learning. And I think that having that authentic audience and that internal motivation um, really engages the kid in a way that um, other, other ways don't. And so I've seen that really, you know, bring a genuine joy to what they're doing. And I think that that, that potential um, is really the key to, to the future for, for our kids. Wonderful, beautiful notes to leave on. Thank you. Um, so as we wrap up, I just want to thank you all for joining us tonight here at Educator and Innovator. We really appreciate the time you put into this and to the work that you've shared also at The Current. And again, check it out if you're listening to this. Um, if you'd like to keep up to date on future CLTV broadcasts and related opportunities, um, go to educatorinnovator.org 
org and sign up for our monthly newsletter. It's chock full of great stuff, and uh, I think it's one of the best newsletters out there, so don't hesitate to sign up. You can also follow us at Twitter at innovates underscore ed. So thanks everybody for watching and have a good evening.